we're going to uh, make our way to our, our thought for this morning. So our, our theme is dealing with wisdom. You guys feel like you got wisdom? Seems like the older you get, I think the more I realize that I don't know. You know, when you were young, and I'm still probably on the, on the uh, not arrogant side of that, but I'm still learning that there's a lot I really don't know. And when you're in your 20s or so, you feel like you know everything and nobody else knows anything. Everybody, why are they so dumb and why do I know so much? And it's like the older you get, it's like, man, there's a whole lot I don't know. And I'm thankful people were patient with me when I thought I knew everything. But, um, you know, wisdom is what we're going to look at today out of James chapter 3. And we'll look through about five verses there towards the end of that, end of that chapter. Um, so you can turn there if you'd like to already. But I'd like to just talk here initially as we make our way into wisdom, the source of life. So many things on this planet that make life enjoyable, many things are necessary for life. So what is something, not necessarily spiritually speaking, but just in general, what's something that you believe we need to exist? Apart from this, we don't exist. Oxygen. Water. Without oxygen, there's no water. Okay. <laughs> Anything else you need? Food? All right. You were probably thankful for a little bit of shelter this week, I bet. Did it rain here every day? I mean, it rained every day at camp. Different times of the day, but... But when Thursday rolled through, you were probably thankful you had a place to go, right? Winds and hail and rain, power going out, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, shelter is a good thing. Clothing, we probably feel like that's necessary for, for life. So, lots of things on the planet that are necessary for life. What are some things, though, on your planet that just make life, on this planet, that make life enjoyable for you? Like, what are things that you're thankful that you have other than the necessities? What is it? Power, okay, electricity. <laughs> Especially on a 100 degree day, right? No power is no fun. So AC is a good thing. We kind of get the full spectrum in this part of the world, don't we? We get hot summers. and we, So we'd probably say in the winter we're thankful for heat. When it's below zero, we're glad the furnace kicks in and helps moderate the temperature in our home. What else just makes life enjoyable for you? Oh, man, yeah, turn a faucet and get water. Yeah. That just puzzles me sometimes. Like, how does that, you know, millions of people in this country, and they just turn, and it shows up. And then where does it all go? I know it goes down a drain, and but just how all that works and how it feeds everybody and lots of pathways under the ground, aren't there? Yeah, doing lots of stuff for us we don't even see all, every day. What else do you think necessities? Indoor plumbing. So we're talking like people who've not had some of these things before. Is that true? Time when we didn't have power maybe or water at the turn of a faucet or indoor plumbing. Okay. What's that? Transportation, yeah, cars, trucks, whatever, buses, planes, boats. So we don't have to walk as far anymore. My Fitbit told me I walked 43 miles this week at Camp Hope. 
from Sunday to Friday. And my legs say, amen. <laughs> really, my feet say that. Anything else that just really makes life enjoyable for you? What's something like, oh, I just couldn't live without this. I mean, I could, but I don't want to. I heard something. Family, friends, yeah? So the people that God's put around you? How I many like your technology, whatever it is? Being able to watch a movie when you want, TV program, all right, or your telephone or computer, internet, all that kind of stuff. You've got access to lots of information. Yes. Clothing? Yeah? Oh, yeah, restaurants. Not having to cook and clean. Just walk in and eat and be served, pampered. Yeah, I like that. Anything else that makes life here worth living for you? Okay, being able to gather, yeah, go to church together. Yep, I would agree with you there wholeheartedly. What about animals? Any of you animal people? Don't want to live without your animals? Some of you are okay without them. So what about sports? Or athletics? Or drama? Or music? You, man, to go through life without having no music would be... Uh, you could do it, right? You could manage, but man, how far have we come as a result of music? I mean, there's lots of stuff we could talk about. But there's lots of things on this planet that help sustain life, and there are lots of things on this planet that help make life enjoyable. But what we're really looking at today is wisdom it, it is truly what's necessary for life. Because wisdom is embodied in Jesus Christ. We'll see today the scriptures say that he is wisdom. So he's this revelation of God in physical form. And in him we find the perfect model. We find perfect teaching for how we are to accomplish what we've been created and gifted to do while we're here. So with that being our kind of framework, then we need some guidance in fulfilling that. And Jesus, or the word will, today will tell us that he is, our, he is our source of life. So we're going to go to James chapter 3. This is... Um, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, and he is, uh, he was an unbeliever until the resurrection. And he didn't believe that his older brother was the son of God. Uh, he didn't accept that as truth. And after the resurrection, you find that James becomes one of the elders or one of the leaders of the church of Ephesus. Um, he is uh, one of the writers of the preserved words in the Bible here. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about, he's going to start talking about teachers and the importance of guarding our tongue. You might remember that text, you know, it talks about how, how a great big boat is steered by this little bitty rudder, right? Or how a massive forest fire is started by just a little spark. And so he talks about the importance of trying to tame your tongue, being mindful of what you say. And it's in that context then that he gives us some thoughts here as it relates to wisdom. So... Uh, James 3 is where we're going to head here as we make our way through uh, these five verses. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Anybody? Who is the wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual and it's demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. All right, so we're going to make our way today through this, focusing on what is true wisdom. All right, there's going to be a comparison between two wisdoms, a worldly wisdom and a godly wisdom. And what we're looking for today is that source of life which comes from godly wisdom or what I'm calling true wisdom. All right, so a few things we'll highlight as we make our way through. Number one is this. True wisdom is going to descend. All right, it, it comes to us from, from God. And here the text says it comes to us from God in heaven. So when you look up in the heavens, what are some things that you enjoy? What are some things that we have above us that bring us things that we need? Yes. So rain, all right, so we get precipitation, rain and water, or uh, snow, or maybe hail, whatever, however it comes, whatever form it comes in. What else do we look up and enjoy? The sunshine, the stars, like a starry night, right? Some days it's a clear sky that's kind of, oh man, that's beautiful. And even some days it's when you look up and see those big white puffy clouds. It's like, man, that's just awesome. Or you see the rays kind of flowing through a cloud. Does it ever make you think, I wonder if Jesus is sitting on that cloud like, is he getting ready to come back? You know, because I'm getting ready, right? My eyes are fixed. I'm ready to go if you're ready to do this. So sometimes it may draw us that way, all right? But what Scripture tells us here is those things are fine, but they're not the source of life. What really comes to us that's necessary from above is going to be wisdom. Now, a world says true wisdom is found below. So it's found in philosophy, it's found in science, right? It's found in reason um, and anything that can just be um, proven scientifically. Uh, it comes from universities where the brightest minds exist. That's where you go to get wisdom. And the Bible says, no, that's not how it works at all, right? True wisdom comes down from, from above. And so here it is again, verse 13. It says, who is wise in the understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes where? It comes from wisdom. Okay? It comes from wisdom. Then verse 17 is going to say, the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. So what we're making a distinction between here is the source of life, which is wisdom from God versus earthly wisdom, which is, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And well, what's this book saying? What's this author believe? And what's this society figured out? Nothing wrong with bouncing ideas off one another, but true wisdom is not wrapped up in me or wrapped up in you. True wisdom is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, revealed through the scriptures, empowered in believers by the work of the Spirit of God. And so here are some other texts that speak to the idea that God is the giver of wisdom. So if we have it, it's not our boast, Right? I can't boast about how wise I am because I, I didn't, it didn't originate with me. My wisdom has come from God. So let's read through some of these. Uh, this is Jesus talking here to his disciples and he's going to say, listen, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be taken to court. But don't try to figure out how you're going to defend yourself. Here's what he says, verse 15. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Man, isn't that good? You know, how often have we felt like, oh, I can't speak up because I just don't know what to say. 
Right? We've got a role to play in reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures. But we're reminded here that the work of God in us is also the preparation of the Spirit in us to give us what we need in those moments. And so he said, don't worry about trying to defend yourself. I'll supply what you need there. I will give you wisdom. And then we see this fleshed out in a guy named Stephen. So in Acts chapter 6, um, there's some religious people there who are having conversations with Stephen. They're arguing with him, and he keeps winning the argument. All right? If you keep losing an argument, how do you feel? Are you starting to get worked up a little bit? People keep proving you wrong, and you kind of, huh. All right? Who do you think you are? So if I can't win an argument, I might, try to, I might try to find something else to quiet you down. That's exactly what the religious people did. The Bible says they could not resist his arguments. And so they were lying about him to get him arrested. All right? Verse 10. They could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit what? The Spirit gave him. All right? So God, through his Spirit, gave Stephen wisdom. It's come down from above, all right? It's not acquired through the study of books or through personal conversations with smart people. Acts chapter 7 verse 10, now he's been brought before the religious group and he's having to give an account of, of who he is and with what authority he speaks. And so he's going to go back long ago and talk about how God gave wisdom. And so he says, God gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. All right, now what's going to happen to Stephen? All right, so if we can't make you be quiet, we'll kill you. All right, we can't beat your arguments. We don't like what you're saying, and so we're going to shut you down. God gave wisdom that was not of this earth. And if it's only earthly wisdom that you're working with, you cannot understand, nor will you tolerate the wisdom of God because it doesn't jive with your way, with, with your worldview or your way of seeing things. And so ultimately... Stephen's going to be stoned. Uh, as Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians, he's going to talk to them about his approach. I don't come to you with eloquence. I'm not coming to you with humanly wisdom or words that have been taught to me by men. All right? We speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to what? Nothing. Your wisdom's nothing. All right? No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And you go down to verse 13. It says, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught how? By the Spirit. All right? Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So the wisdom that Paul had received was a wisdom from above. It descended. It wasn't something he uncovered in books. It wasn't something that he was taught in worldly philosophy it was something that was taught him from above. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this and says, For this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God to what? To fill you. It's another way of asking God to give you. Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And so how do I get knowledge and understanding of the will of God? It comes from the wisdom of God. And he will give that to us generously, liberally. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. And so Christ is the embodiment of 
wisdom. And in him we find true wisdom. He's the one who descended from above, right? We'll talk about that here in a minute as we relate his humility. Peter's going to write about Paul. 2 Peter 3 says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. You might remember people were saying, Jesus isn't coming back, right? All these people are sinning, and if he was really God, if he was really coming back, he would have already done so. And Peter's writing, no, 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 just he's patient. He wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anybody to, to perish. That's why he hasn't come yet. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God, what? That God gave him. God gave it. God's the author of it. He is the giver of it. And James says the very same thing. If you lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask. And you ask the one who has it. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. So where do we go to get wisdom? We go to God. He's the author of it. All right? He's the possessor of it. And the good thing is, is that he's also the giver of it. And so if we are supposed to have wisdom and he's just the possessor or the giver, we're out of luck. All we've got are our best intentions, our best ideas, our best opinions. And those don't accomplish godly things. Remember, spiritual truth are taught by the Spirit. Spiritual understanding is brought through the Spirit. That's a God-given thing. And so he is the possessor and he is the giver of wisdom. And so initially it's important just to make sure we understand that it comes from above. Right? Lots of places you can find smart people and we don't put down smart people uh, the Word of God talks about smart people, though, and to a degree. They're going to be made fools, right? The foolishness of God uh, far surpasses the wisdom of those who have the most wisdom on this planet. Uh, he talks about how he's just going to kind of undermine their authority by his wisdom. And so we look to God, and he is the author of, the possessor of, the giver of wisdom. You want wisdom? Then you ask. Anybody like a million bucks this morning? You wouldn't take it if I could give it to you? You'd take it, wouldn't you? And I would too, all right? And you'd walk out of here and you'd say, this is the best day of church of my life, right? Because we think money solves all of our problems. But I can't give it to you. Now, there are people on this planet who could, right? There are people today, uh, well, maybe in a couple weeks' time, who will make enough money playing a game that they could give every one of us a million bucks. And it would, they wouldn't even know it. They're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars over four or five years. So to pass out 30 or 40 million is, that's like passing out quarters. Right? They don't really, it doesn't mean a whole lot to them. So they could do it. It's the same way with wisdom. Alright, so you, we go to the one who has it because only the one who has it can give it. And if we look for it in other places, we might get good ideas, but we don't get God ideas. Only God ideas lead us to living lives that please and honor God. And so we want to understand initially that true wisdom comes from above. It's, it descends. All right, secondly, true wisdom is going to work within us. So it's going to come from above, and for those who receive it, it's going to work within them. It's going to start by developing purity in our hearts. It's going to start by developing purity in our hearts. Okay, so... All of the wisdom of this world will never be able to solve the world's greatest need. The world's greatest need is, is to be made pure. It's to, it's to be saved and forgiven from our impurities or our sin. You might remember Jesus took on him our impurities so that we could be made pure. The Bible says that in a lot of different ways, right? 
He's going to take our ashes and exchange our ashes for beauty. He became poor on our behalf so we could become rich. Right? All those things are saying the same thing here, that within us we are the benefactor of the work of Christ. He's taken our trash and in its place we've received him as our treasure. So all of the wisdom of the world will never be able to solve our greatest need. As a matter of fact, worldly wisdom accomplishes the exact opposite. And don't you wish that we could just grab a hold of this? Don't you wish that we could set leaders of school boards and leaders of or county boards or leader of countries where everyone around the table is looking to God for wisdom rather than looking to people to satisfy a God need. See, when we just have the people around the table and their ideas, it doesn't lead to the things of God. And so here's some things the Bible says that come as the result of worldly wisdom. One of those things is envy or selfish ambition. And we get chaos and we get disorder. And really every evil practice is what the scripture says can be wrapped up in worldly wisdom. James 3, 15, 16. Such wisdom, wisdom of the world, it doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly. It's unspiritual and it is demonic. Man, don't you know that would sit well <laughs> if you walked into a board meeting and said, you're a bunch of demons and you're not getting anything good done here. Yeah. 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so James says you can track everything evil to worldly wisdom. And people want to boast in it. They want to talk about how much they know. It does not lead to anything that honors God or that satisfies the soul of a person. So worldly wisdom leads us to be selfish or impure is one way that we could say that. However, the very first work of God's wisdom in our life is to make us pure. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all what? It's first of all pure. The wisdom from God, initially it starts with us and God. Right? The next things that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes relate to you and I. If I'm pure in heart, it's going to have an effect on how I live life. But before I can live life in a way that pleases God, I've got to be made pure. And the only way I'm made pure is through the wisdom of God, whose name is Jesus. Remember, He is wisdom. All the embodiment of God is in the humble Christ who descended from above, brought us wisdom, taught us wisdom, modeled for us wisdom, and has called us to then live a life that's worthy of, of God, and that is a life that is built around wisdom. It all starts, though, with a pure heart, being made pure. And so there's one commentator, you may have heard of him before, his name is Albert Barnes. As it relates to uh, worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, listen to what he says here. He says, the first effect of wisdom is not on the intellect to make it more enlightened. Nothing wrong with being enlightened or having more intelligence. That's just not the first effect of wisdom. The first effect of wisdom is not on the imagination to make it more brilliant or the memory and judgment to make them clearer and stronger, but it's on the heart to make it pure, upright, inoffensive, and good. And so the work of God and his wisdom in us initially is to purify us. All right? And then it's to maintain that purity or to continue to pursue purity within us. So purity is not a one-time deal. It's a lifelong process. It's not just remove my sin, but it's clean my mind. It's clean my mouth. It's clean my motives. Clean my attitudes. There's just this ongoing, lifelong process of being made more and more like Christ. And so his goal is to make us pure and to keep us pure. 
And in keeping us pure, he works to protect us from those things. Selfish ambition that we talked about, envy. What does selfish ambition and envy lead to? Disorder and every, every evil practice you can think of. All right? It comes from that heart that has not been made pure. And so initially, the work of purity is going to develop us to become people who are pure in heart. And that's very important. Right? We don't want to be people who are doing the right thing on the outside, but it's not being compelled by anything on the inside. Right? Jesus said those people are like whitewashed tombs. They're pretty on the outside, but what are they inside? They're full of dead men's bones. Right? There's nothing alive. There's nothing active. There's nothing compelling. There's nothing drawing, changing, working. I'm just doing all the right stuff outwardly that I see other people do or that people say it's good for me to do. It's just not being drawn out of me. Right? Why did you sing today? Why did I sing today? Is it because it's Sunday and that's what we do or is it being drawn out of me? I just, I want to worship. And worship, singing is just one way of worship, but I just want to do that. Or why do we play an instrument? Or why do we prepare to teach a class? Or why do we interact with people? Why do we put money in an offering plate? Why are we listening, asking God to speak to our heart? Is there, is there something within us that wants to honor God? Is there something within us that needs God and knows that we need God? Is there something that's drawing us there? Or is it just, you know, it's Sunday or it's the life of the Christian or it's the religious activity? Uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in the... Just the next thing. Do the next thing. Do the next. It's what I'm supposed to do, supposed to do, supposed to do. And lose the heart or the motivation behind it. And so here, James writes and says, listen, purity is going to start in you initially, in you. It's not about what you do first. It's about who you are first. And he wants to change us through his wisdom by making us pure. And then true wisdom here is going to have this outward effect. It's going to display itself. So it descends. It develops and then it displays. It displays itself, and notice the word air, humbly through good deeds. So purity starts between us and God. But then beyond that now, purity is going to express itself in how I live. Right? And it should be seen in some ways that are referenced here as good deeds, specifically in acts of humility. So the initial work, forgive my sin, okay, make me pure. But that's the initial work. Purity doesn't stop there, as we just said. It's going to go on. It's the beginning of true wisdom in the life of, of a believer. And so verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them do what? Let them show it. All right? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So where there, where there is wisdom, there will be a pure heart, godly wisdom. And where there is a pure heart, then there will be good deeds. And this good deeds also includes a good conversation. And it also includes our, our approach in our conversation. And so that word humility, some of your translations may have the word meekness. So many people have knowledge, right? Lots of people have knowledge. And we see this on news programs and we read this in magazines or newspapers and we hear it on podcasts or blogs where people are pretty violent with the knowledge that they have. They're pretty aggressive. They lack compassion. I'm wrong and you're an idiot. And so be quiet and listen to me. That's how that comes across. That's not humility. That's not meekness. That's not the work of wisdom in the life of a believer. Some of those people are noisy. They're overbearing. They're belittling. They're disrespectful because they've got a lot of knowledge. You know what they don't have? Wisdom. All right? And sometimes I'm a lot of people. 
Has it ever been you? You ever been noisy? You ever been disrespectful? You ever been like, why I'm about to put you in your place. I've had just about enough of your mouth. You ever felt that way? That's not wisdom. Not godly wisdom. That's worldly. That's knowledge that comes from below. Godly wisdom is meek. It's humble. It's gentle. It's calm. Right? Remember the teaching that tells us a gentle word turns away wrath. A word of wrath tends to just to elevate conversations to where we want to start beating each other's faces off. One commentator said this, though, of people that had knowledge but no wisdom. said, people like this are like blind people who are carrying around a lantern in daylight to keep other people from hitting them in the street. What's the point of a blind person carrying a lantern in daylight? It serves no purpose whatsoever, Right? And they're worried about banging into people. That just doesn't even matter. They're lacking wisdom. Lacking wisdom. Sometimes I'm lacking wisdom because I'm too proud in the knowledge that I feel like I have. And so their learning is of little worth. And so where true wisdom is displayed, just think back to Jesus. It'll be displayed with gentleness. It'll be to the point. Uh, but it's never careless. It's never reckless. It's never about harboring or hurting, or just destroying. It's ultimately about trying to turn or to win the opportunity to speak further into that heart. So the wisdom that comes from above, first of all, is going to be pure. And after it's pure, look in what it does. Right? It's purifying me, and then it's going to be peace-loving. And So just think about these as we read through them. Are these things evident? Are they present in your life? Are they present in my life? So have I been forgiven of my sin? Is there a, a purifying effect in my life that right now where I used to listen to stuff and I don't listen to that anymore because it doesn't make me more like Jesus. It doesn't make me have Jesus' thoughts. It makes me think more about the world and to be selfish. And so maybe I cut some of that music out or I've cut some of those friends out or I've blocked some of that media in my life or I'm no longer going to have the influence of those movies or those actors in my life because I, I want purity. See, part of maturity is desiring to be more and more like Christ, which means ultimately some of that stuff's just going to have to fade because he is pure and perfect, and I'm in process, and some of it's just got to go. So are you pure? If you start there, then are you peace-loving? You know, are we peace-loving? That is, are we striving to live at peace with other people? You know, Paul told us in Romans, as much as it depends on you, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you and I, live at peace with other people. So others should be able to look at us and go, even if they disagree with us, man, that's a peaceful person. They're peaceable. Even though they disagree with me, they've done it in a way that doesn't like, make me feel like I've been beat up by their truth. They are, they are a gentle spirit. They are calm. doesn't mean they're weak. They're confident. They're standing on what they believe to be true. But they long and, and, and strive after peace. The next word there is considerate. And considerate just means are we mindful of others? Uh, are we hospitable? Are we gentle? Right? Think about conversations you've had this week. Think about people that you and I have walked with or talked with this week. Would they describe us in these terms? The next word there is that word submissive. Uh, the context here is um, that word, it, it means that I'm not so stuck on my own beliefs that if I'm wrong, I can't be persuaded by what's true. 
And so I've come a long way, but I've still got a long way to go there. I can remember sitting around a dinner table and my dad looking at me at supper time. You're wrong, Corey. You're wrong. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And, I mean, that was through high school. No, you can't tell me I'm wrong. And I would know I was wrong. I just wouldn't admit it. What's that called? Stubborn. Oh, that's polite. Thank you. He's just stubborn. <laughs> I would use another ST word. I call it stupid, right? Because I should be willing to listen to somebody else. If I'm wrong and what you have is truth, and I'm not willing to submit to that because I want to be more right than I do, like personally, than I actually want to have truth, then that's wrong. And so that's the context here. It's like if, if I am wrong and somebody's working to persuade me, I'm willing to drop a wall and let you speak and persuade me, influence me, help me b see where I'm wrong and show me how I, should, how I should be in the right or a direction that I should move. So be willing to submit. This is another area of displaying humility through good deeds. What about being full of mercy? Full of mercy means that as mercy has been shown to me, I show it in the same way in return. Right? It's merciful. Has God been merciful to you? Yes. Has he been merciful to me? Yes. Then that's how we're to treat every other person. Oh, they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They forfeited the right to receive mercy from me. Is that what you want to hear from God? Because you were unforgiving of this person, I'm going to be unforgiving of you. None of us want to come before God and hear that. There's no grudge worth holding on this planet that's worth missing heaven over. Not one. And it takes way too much work to be bitter. It takes way too much work just to uphold that grudge. And the truth of the matter is, and you know this, it's hurting you more than it's hurting the other person. Well, I'll never. Well, we got to get to never. We got to deal with that now. Be merciful. They don't deserve it. No, they don't. We didn't either. Be people who bear good fruit. That is, be benevolent. Be kind. Be generous. Look after the needs of others. And the scriptures call us in the Old Testament and the New Testament to care for those who are in prison, to care for those who are widowed, to care for those who are orphaned, to care for those who are unable to care for themselves. Now, people who are able to work and don't, what should they do? All right, they should work. What should we do? We should work to help them work. Right? Rather than just standing back and griping about whether well, they can work and they ain't getting no job, then help them. I'll help find you a job. You're able, let's go. Right? What are your skills? What do you want to do? What kind of training do you need? And let's see if we can't get you a job. Right? Rather than complain about it, we don't want to be people, anybody can identify a problem, we want to be solution people. Right? That's being benevolent. That's being uh, humble. That's a demonstration of a good deed there. That would be part of bearing good fruit, being kind. That word there, impartial, it means we make no distinction in people. So every person I look at, I treat the same way, whether they like me or not. You ever done something nice to somebody and they're rude to you in return? How do you want to treat them the next time? We say, oh, I won't do that again. All right, I just cut off the supply right there. I'll smile at you, but because you've been rude or you haven't really shown appreciation for what I've done for you, I'm not going to do it anymore. No. We make no distinction in how we treat people. 
-hmm. right? Remember the old Dairy Queen motto? We treat you right. You guys are thinking about ice cream now, aren't you? <laughs> when others treat me wrong, I'll treat you right. That's part of being impartial, regardless of what color you are. I was talking, our bug guy was here yesterday, and he was telling me there's been two times in his life where he's had to tell a guy, you know, I'm, so, I'm going to have my manager call you. He's been there 14 years. My manager's going to call you because uh, I'm not putting up with this anymore. He was training a young black girl to spray for bugs in a home. This was over in St. Louis, and this guy was as much, he was a racist and a sexist, is what he said, right in front of this girl. And she started crying right here and calling her all sorts of names. And so he ended up walking out on her, right? So that's being partial. That's thinking because your skin's a certain color, you're better than somebody else. And because you're better, then you can treat people who aren't as good as you as less thans, right? Now, world history tells us that we've done that forever. But Scripture tells us that's not who people with wisdom, that's not how we live. We're impartial. Whether they look pretty or they're ugly. Whether they smell good or they don't. Whether they're old or young. Whether they speak English or they don't. Whatever color they are. Whether they love us or not. It doesn't matter. Wisdom moves and acts on behalf of the person rather than being partial. And then sincere. And the idea there is that we're, we're not hypocritical. I am who I say I am. I'll do what I say I will do. And so these are all just the good works of humility that come out of a heart that's been made pure. So I don't know about you, but there's still some purifying that needs to take place in my heart, right? When I look through these seven or these six other qualities of someone who has godly wisdom, I want to see this displayed more in my life because I know some of the thoughts I have. I know how at times my hands get tight-fisted or I know how I can just back away and go, if that's how you want to be, that's okay. I'm just not going to step that way any further. And that's not the reflection of, of Christ that I'm called to display here. And so it's going to display itself, true wisdom, through humility, right, and good deeds. Remember Jesus? What did he do? Philippians 2, he humbled himself. He left all the glory and splendor of heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and he became obedient, obedient the point of death, the death of the cross. And now he's been exalted. Right? The Bible says, humble yourself before God and he'll exalt you. True humility comes from a heart that's been purified by wisdom and it displays itself by all sorts of good deeds. So as we close, I just want to ask you, do you have true wisdom? And if it starts with purifying my heart, have you been made pure through faith in Jesus Christ? That's where this all begins. Remember, this isn't a work on our own. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. It comes to us, not from us. And it comes to us to work in us, ultimately then to work through us. And so I look to God. Wisdom says initially, I understand you're a Savior and I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. Will you forgive my sins? If you've received Jesus as your Savior, then maybe it's God today, please keep purifying me and help me to partner with that work. And where it's not right, call that out in me. And thank you for surrounding with me with people who can help me see, Corey, that's not healthy. I understand why you feel that way, but that just doesn't really reflect Christ. 
And so I, I want to I help you with that. I'll pray for you in that. That's one of the wonderful works of being connected with a body of believers. Or maybe you look at your life and you just say, man, I don't see these qualities being displayed. Maybe this morning it's asking God, help me to humble myself, to remember who I am in you, and just to live a life that reflects true wisdom uh, rather than my own opinions or ideas.